Hello, friends, and welcome to the Diabetes Pro Tip Series from the Juice Box Podcast. These episodes have been remastered for better sound quality by Rob at Wrong Way Recording. When you need it done right, you choose Wrong Way. WrongWayRecording.com Initially imagined by me as a 10-part series, the Diabetes Pro Tip Series has grown to 26 episodes. These episodes now exist in your audio player between episode 1000 and episode 1025. They are also available online at DiabetesProTip.com and JuiceBoxPodcast.com. This series features myself and Jennifer Smith. Jenny is a CDE and a Type 1 for over 35 years. This series was my attempt to bring together the management ideas found within the podcast in a way that would make it digestible and revisitable. It has been so incredibly popular that these 26 episodes are responsible for well over a half of a million downloads within the Juicebox podcast. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Ascensia Diabetes, makers of the Contour Next Gen Blood Glucose Meter. And they have an amazing offer for you. Right now, at my link only, contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter, you can get an absolutely free Contour Next Gen starter kit. That's contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter. While supplies last, U.S. residents only. The Remastered Diabetes Pro Tip Series from the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by Touched by Type 1. See all of the good work they're doing for people living with type 1 diabetes at touchedbytype1.org and on their Instagram and Facebook pages. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. Every time I think there's nothing more to do for the pro tips than somebody asks something and I think, no, well, that that would work there too. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad. There is the variables in life that I think will always bring in something to discuss in terms of what it could be in, in diabetes, like management. Yeah. No, I'm really it happy. Is. I'm really happy to hear from people because I think that others' perspectives – can make me go, oh, yeah, wow, just because that hasn't happened here doesn't mean that's not happening somewhere. And then it, give, it gives, you know, good focus for what to do. So this is it. We're going to talk about trying to lose weight when you have type 1. As I mentioned, I think I, I, t- I texted back to you. I was like, this is a big topic. Mm-hmm. It's not just like five minutes of, well, Chat. just go out and start running. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of like a rabbit hole, okay. honestly. Right. I I mean, there are many different, like, little avenues to kind of talk about. And you had a lot of really good questions mm-hmm. that came in or like comments about, gosh, I don't understand this or why isn't this quite right or whatever. So yeah, yes, we can get, we can get <laughs> it's a started. great topic. So I'm going to have very little to say here probably. Um, and I apologize for that. I guess this is the day, the, ty- the time we pretend like I just came on your Zoom and I'm like, hey, how do I, <laughs> can you help me? And then you just talk. Um, but what what's the, I think, I mean, where do you think we should start? Because to me, I think we should start at the idea that people correlate taking insulin with gaining weight and they, yeah. don't, and they don't think about calories and yeah, that right. go. Hi, it, Jenny. Go. Um, <laughs> can you help me please? Yes. Well, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I know it's a good place to start in terms of like one thing that everybody with diabetes specifically thinks about is that it's insulin. And I think a good place to even go with why does that start is because it's often something that a practitioner will tell people, mm-hmm. you know, using insulin, you may be likely to gain weight. And I think that was one of um, one or a couple of like the comments that came back about this topic were specific to, you know, why have I been told that I'm going to gain weight or why, you know, why is this going to happen or why did I lose weight? And now I'm gaining all of this weight back, like after diagnosis, right? Um, So insulin itself, whether your body makes it or you take it with an injection or with a pump, it's a storage hormone. That's its job. It's supposed to move a certain quantity of 
carb or sugar really out of your bloodstream and into places to either be used or stored, right? So in terms of management, insulin can make you gain weight. Um, In terms of like initial diagnosis, a lot of people type one specific have lost weight prior to diagnosis. Maybe it was very rapid or maybe it was like a lingering loss that people were like, well, I could just keep eating the whole cake and gosh, I don't gain any weight and I'm actually losing weight. And then they're like, wait, this is wrong. This is bad. This shouldn't be happening. Right. Um, So they go to the doctor, right? They get a diagnosis of diabetes. They've lost weight. And in terms of that loss, it's often relative, it's usually relative to the fact that their blood sugars have been so high mm-hmm. that their body isn't storing those calories, right. right? So you're essentially peeing them out, thus DKA and all of those things that can come about, you know, around diagnosis time. But because you're losing all those calories and your body's not packing them in, once you have back the piece of the puzzle that was supposed to help you use that food that you were taking in, mm-hmm. your body's going to start storing it. Right. And so, and so, and, and that is the one confusion you see from newly diagnosed people. It's like, I don't understand. I lost all this weight and they don't understand the function of it. So explaining the function of it, I think is great. I think boiling it down into one simple idea is that you were dying <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. And your body is using itself up and not storing at the same time, trying to stay alive. And then all of a sudden, Everything's okay. Correct. Now, the more weight, listen, if I'm if I'm talking out of school here, you'll stop me. But if you've lost a lot of weight before you get to the skinny, emaciated, those are my ribs, you probably had weight to lose to begin with, right? Because it was there to lose. Likely. And especially more as the adults who are diagnosed. Yes. Right. Um, if you had weight to lose for whatever reason, mm-hmm. you may have just thought, like I said, oh, good. I'm actually able to take weight off now. I don't know why. I'm still doing the same three-mile walk every day, and now it seems to be working better. Great. But yeah, once you get to that, like, hmm, I shouldn't be able to see my lower ribs, or gosh, my face looks really sunken in when I look at old pictures of myself. That's not what you want. And and I think that, again, this probably sounds, I, I don't want it to sound like distasteful, but if you had weight to lose, you were probably it's likely that you were taking in calories that helped you stay at that weight, meaning that when you start taking the insulin back in, there are calories there to be packed away to facilitate the weight gain again. And that's in any case, whether you could have lost weight, you know, and successfully, hopefully helpful, you know, left it off. Right. But the goal with starting insulin is in general, to maintain a healthy weight then, right? Mm -hmm. To get, yes, you will come back from the weight loss, but you should also, with the proper insulin dosing, you should be able to get back to a stable, healthy weight. You know, if you lost 40 pounds when you were diagnosed and, hey, 20 of that you could have definitely lost and Mm -hmm. the other 20 you really didn't need to, great, we should gain back maybe 15 to 20 pounds and then, we don't need the other kind. Back. Well, what is the functionality of the proper insulin dosing that makes you gain too much or not enough? In terms of insulin dosing, that's correct. The amount of food you put in to work with it, of course, is a piece of the puzzle there. But if your insulin is being balanced along with your use of the energy that it's working with, mm-hmm. then you should be able to gain energy back to your body that gets stored, that keeps you at a healthy weight. And you shouldn't then continue to gain if the dosing is correct. And so it kind of goes back to on a baseline, initially make sure your insulin doses are right for you. And a lot of people wonder, you know, they, I just leave it to my doctor. Yeah. It tells me how much more or less to take. And, and does that mean that if you're not using enough insulin, that your blood sugars are left higher? So you're still having some of the action right. that you noticed before you were diagnosed, right? You're, yes. you're a little, you're too high in your body's not storing the, the calories correctly, the glucose correct correctly. And so you're not gaining as much weight. So you could have unhealthy blood sugars, but feel like your weight's good. And then you kind of come to that point. You're like, oh, I'm good. And that really is the beginning idea of diabulimia too, right? Manipulating the insulin to keep your weight down. Okay. So going the other way, if you are too low all the time, you'd have trouble putting on weight. 
if you're too low all the time, one, you've, that's actually kind of an, it's an opposite of what you would think. Really, If you're low all the time, and that's a big reason. And when we start working with somebody, we analyze insulin to begin with. And the first thing we look for, even if there are highs, high highs, we first look for lows. Because if weight management is another piece that they're really concerned about, Mm -hmm. then all of those lows that you're treating, you are feeding insulin and you're feeding insulin, which ends up packing away the excess that you're taking in Mm -hmm. and you maintain a weight that you don't want, or you keep gaining weight that you don't want. So this, this puts you in the position of having to look at carbohydrates as medicine and being scared because you're low, taking way more than you need, and then suddenly you're bounced right. back up again. And maybe you've got enough insulin in there to handle the carbs for your blood sugar, but you've taken in way more calories than your Correct. body wants. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So that's a, that's that insulin is it's kind of the key place to start, really. Okay. And you know, and then a lot of people ask, well, how much insulin should I really be on? How is this enough for me? Is that enough for me? I know we just talked about that yeah. kind of in depth in another episode, but really, you know, figuring out about how much insulin you need based on a weight to begin with, mm-hmm. that's kind of a starting place that you could go to. How much total daily insulin are you using right now? What's your like current body weight, et cetera? Um, should you be using this much insulin? Is it taking this much more insulin to counter things? Or are you using like a heck of a lot more, like let's call it bolus insulin, right? right? But you see that your bolus insulin is for a lot of corrections. And when you're looking at your data, you can see that the corrections are following lows. Mm-hmm. There again, more insulin than you really need. And thus your body is going to pack away by allowing the insulin to use up the food. It's funny because I wasn't 100% sure what you were going to say today. And yet I feel like we're into this situation again where the podcast should maybe be three minutes long and it should say, um, limit your variability, use the right amount of insulin. Uh, And and it it kind of addresses so many things. I I know this isn't weight loss uh, specific, but let me just ask you one question. How many people... You know, what percentage of people do you think, just a guess, are are getting to reasonable outcomes by mistake? Hmm. Like they're bolusing too much, but they're eating on time and their basil's too low and it works out. Or their basil's too high and they eat before they get low and they don't have to bolus too much. And it, like how many people are getting there the wrong way, but it seems like it's working and then have underlying issues that they don't recognize I wouldn't say it's, I wouldn't say it's anywhere near a majority of people. Honestly, I'd say it's a small percentage of people who have figured out insulin needs, even though the dosing strategy that they're using might be wrong. Like you said, maybe there's way too little basil, but they're offsetting it with boluses. And maybe the little amount of basil they're using is right for their overnights. And that's why it looks stable or, you know, Mm -hmm. vice versa, whatever. But I don't think that's the majority of people. I think the majority of people who are having issues with blood sugar fluctuations that they don't want and also likely are having some issues with weight management yeah. of some type it's it's a start of let's look at what the initial factor could be insulin okay and then you move on further and you know lifestyle is a big part of it obviously right so then we look at things like calorie intake and um I think some of the, some of the questions that came in were kind of, you know, around that, well, you know, I've run a calorie deficit and I've like run myself ragged going to the gym or, you know, exercising 90 hours a week and it's still not working. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, you know, and then, you know, there's the fasting component and all of these things that people try to put into the picture, Mm -hmm. but from the standpoint of calorie, your calorie needs should meet your baseline kind of need in general. And then if you are working out on top of that, or, you know, a training athlete or whatnot, then calorie needs go up. Um, But at a minimum, there is kind of a minimum 
on average that needs to be there. It's about a thousand calories a day, give or take person to person. Um, But when you start dipping below that, oftentimes what ends up happening is your body conserves Mm -hmm. because you're not meeting a need. And then you wonder, well, I'm at a deficit. Why am I not losing? Because your body thinks you're lost on a desert island and it doesn't, it's trying to hold on to everything you put inside. Exactly. I've had that problem where I've, by eating more food, I've lost weight and eating less. It, it didn't, it didn't impact me as much as a fact. In fact, it sort of made me go the wrong way. So, okay. So if someone asks you, is it not as simple as, Hey, I need to lose weight. Can you tell me where to start? Is it really person to person? Like, cause what do you have to do first? Like, like think about if you were listening to this right now and you could be any of the varied people who are listening, like where do people start? I would definitely say with, well, first might even be an analysis of where are you and where do you want to be or where have you been weight wise, right? What's your goal to get to and how much more are you above that than you want to be? And also in that timeframe, it goes back to insulin analysis. If you've gained weight, as many people have in this past year, (laughs) um, if you have gained weight, but your insulin doses haven't really shifted, therein lies a piece of the puzzle too, right? Usually for about a 10% change to your baseline, like weight, you're probably going to expect a need to change your, your basal and your bolus ratios by about 10% as well to be more aggressive and to take you know, take into consideration that gain. Now, when people are looking for loss, they're like, yeah, but I don't want to use more insulin Mm -hmm. because that's not going to work. And they think the insulin put the weight on them. Correct. Okay. Gotcha. But but really they need to first manage their blood sugars. Right. And then they can start working on whittling away or whittling back. And some of that comes into, okay, let's look at the, the lifestyle things. Okay. Let's look at, are you exercising or are you active enough? Does your calorie intake meet what your actual need is? Um, you know, where can we whittle away some things so that weight comes down? And along with it, then as you do lose, the same thing happens with insulin. Mm-hmm. Your insulin doses should be adjusted back based on loss. You are making me think so strongly about when somebody comes to me and says, hey, I just got diabetes and uh, I play a sport or my kid, you know, is on the team and we're so worried about this. And I very badly don't want to give them a Band-Aid answer about how to get through the sport. I want to tell them, let's take the time now and get your insulin right so that during the activity, there really isn't any issue. Um, right. And it's hard for people to believe that once they've seen it, once they see cause and effect, once they see I ran around and my blood sugar went down, they imagine that is going to happen no matter what all the time. And I, Arden's, I'm sure you're the same way, but Arden's insulin so well balanced at this point, like activity doesn't make her lower or higher, really. It's not, it doesn't really change too much. Yeah, it dep- and I think that brings in, you know, the consistency of exercise or activity, right? The more attuned your body is, let's say you go out for an hour every single single day to get some form of real exercise, right. right? Your body gets used to that. So initially you might see that your insulin needs drop off within the hours of the active time, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe even stretching several hours later, depending on what you did. But over time, that impact is lessened you will usually need to be less aggressive with insulin adjustment or maybe not at all. I mean, I can typically take my kids to the park and not really worry too much about that unless I know I'm really going to run around crazy with them and I likely have insulin on board. Right. So then something needs to be, you know, offset. But um, so, yeah, I mean, once you get to the point of like lifestyle adjustments and a base insulin that's working, your fluxes in insulin dose then will be minimized. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have to, I think, oh, sorry, go no, ahead. I was going to say, I think people need to be certain too that once they start exercising, their body is going to use the insulin better. The answer then is not to feed the low, it's to adjust the insulin. And, Correct. You know, maybe the first time you have to feed it, but then you have to learn from there and make an adjustment so that you're not constantly battling yourself because that is what happens, right? They exercise, mm-hmm. they get low, they eat. It it out the it out it overpowers what they meant to right. accomplish. Okay, 
And then they, and then you end up getting frustrated too. Well, goodness, you know, I go to the gym, but I have to eat like a whole sandwich and a half a banana in order to go to the gym and not have a low blood sugar. What's the purpose of that when I'm trying to lose weight? And then I stopped doing it because. And they stopped doing it. Right. right? Or on, on the other side of it, you know, someone who may actually, okay, I'm going to really focus in on my diet. I'm going to clean it up. I'm going to, you know, cut my macros down and actually meet the caloric need that I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. And then what they end up with many times are lows, especially okay. the cleaner the diet gets and the more accurate intake of calorie value is for that person, your insulin needs will actually come down sooner. So to avoid lows and needing to treat in the time period where you're really trying to be, let's be good, let's say, just take your insulin doses down by maybe even it's just your basal, take it down by maybe five to 10% across the board. Okay. So it's get your insulin right. So it's understand diabetes first. Mm-hmm. And then it's the normal stuff we all talk about. It. It's being active, getting your heart rate up. Um, a sedentary lifestyle leads to more resistant blood sugars, which leads to more insulin, which probably leads to more lows because you get out of balance blood sugars. And what you just said about clean eating, we don't really talk about it. Like we, like if we were all out in a field, okay, let's just say this. <laughs> If it was 400 years ago and somehow insulin existed, but we were still just farming and breakfast might be an apple you found on the ground and maybe on Wednesday, if you're lucky, the guy up the street kills an elk and we get a steak, right? Like if we were still eating like that and we had man-made insulin, people would not be using nearly as much insulin as they use now. Jenny, Goodness. Like, oh, no, no, not right. at all. I mean, right. if you were living on like berries that you picked along the trail that you were tracking the elk on and then you stopped and you ate some of the watercress you know, get your vitamin c out of the like stream that floated by or whatever no way no you might not I mean, need as much insulin right so- no you wouldn't you're also active level that i mean most like let's call them you know cave dwellers or whatever at that point of life right, right. activity was part of your day they didn't have a gym that they went to. Yeah, I mean, moving. their hunt for the bison man was like activity. <laughs> I, I bet you running from a mountain lion burns carbs. <laughs> what do you think? What do you I think? It does. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yes. So I guess my point is, is that while I'm not telling anybody how to eat, and I'm not certainly telling you that my daughter's counting macros or anything like that, um, processed foods, right? Man-made foods, stuff that comes in bags, oils that don't belong in your body, all the stuff that we consume all the time that we're not aware of, it's making your variability greater and it's making it more difficult for you to use insulin. True. In fact, I've also kind of heard people, and there's truth to it. The Remastered Diabetes Pro Tip Series is sponsored by Ascensia Diabetes, makers of the Contour Next Gen Blood Glucose Meter, and they have a unique offer just for listeners of the Juicebox podcast. If you're new to Contour, you can get a free Contour Next Gen Starter Kit by visiting this special link, contournext.com forward slash meter. When you use my link, you're going to get the same accurate meter that my daughter carries, contournext.com forward slash meter. Head there right now and get yourself the starter kit. This free kit includes the Contour Next Gen Meter, 10 test strips, 10 lancets, a lancing device, control solution, and a carry case. But most importantly, it includes an incredibly accurate and easy to use blood glucose meter. This Contour Meter has a bright light for nighttime viewing, an easy to read screen. It fits well in your hand and features second chance sampling, which can help you to avoid wasting strips. Every one of you has a blood glucose meter. You deserve an accurate one. Contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter to get your absolutely free Contour Next Gen starter kit sent right to your door. When it's time to get more strips, you can use my link and save time and money buying your Contour Next products from the convenience of your home. It's completely possible that you will pay less out of pocket in cash for your contour strips than you're paying now through your insurance. Contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter. 
go get yourself a free starter kit. While supplies last, U.S. residents only. Touched by Type 1 has the back of people living with Type 1 diabetes. Take, for instance, their D-Box program. Touched by Type 1 knows firsthand the intricacies of living with Type 1 diabetes, and so their team has created a D-Box, which is a starter kit that provides important resources and supportive materials to individuals with diabetes. They want you to thrive. The D-Box is completely free and available to newly diagnosed people. All you have to do is go to touchedbytype1.org, go to the Programs tab, and click on D-Box. While you're there, check out all the other resources and programs available at touchedbytype1.org. Speaking of support, touchedbytype1.org is available in English and Spanish. Don't forget to find them on Facebook and Instagram, too. You do not want to miss what Touched by Type 1 is doing. When you have diabetes and use insulin, low blood sugar can happen when you don't expect it. Gvoke Hypopen is a ready-to-use glucagon option that can treat very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes ages 2 and above. Find out more. Go to gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. Gvoke shouldn't be used in patients with pheochromocytoma or insulinoma. Visit gvokeglucagon.com slash risk. Many people have found that if they eat a true carb, let's say they eat an apple and they bolus for it, they end up with the ratio that they're using for that simple, like very clean carb Mm -hmm. to go low. Okay. And then when they mix it up and let's say they have potato chips or something along with the apple, or they have something, you know, more processed along with it, their carb count ends up looking clean. Like, okay, it comes out, I don't get low later. So what gives? It really is that the body processes more natural food in a better way. Right. There's there's less leftover to kind of linger in impact. And a lot of people are basing their insulin to carb ratios more specifically around combination meals that are not quite as, for lack of a better term, clean. Right. So right. your your heavier insulin ratios work better if you have the orange with the potato chips. But if you just eat the orange, the orange doesn't need as much insulin. So the ratios you have are too heavy. Correct. Yeah. I Now, Arden's ratios are heavier because she doesn't, you know, she eats a, f- a diet that has processed foods mixed into it. Mm-hmm. And, but she'll go on a kick around this time of year about oranges, <clears throat> where I have to buy like 10 pound bags of oranges to keep around the house. And um, she's like, I want an orange. I want an orange. Now, these are big, like softball size oranges that I'm sure. Are they the Cara Cara oranges? Those are my favorite. Yeah, I think they are. And they're really good, right? And yeah. But I bet you, and I've never looked, but I bet you that the carb count on them has got to be more like 25 or something like that. Like, they're huge. It could be more, right? But I only give her enough insulin for like 11 carbs. And, I, and she does a little 130 rise and comes back again. Because yeah. I, you know, because I know her ratio is higher to handle other things, which is why you look at plates and go, okay, tonight I don't need as much, you know, for that. Right. But this is yeah. not, this is not going to be a satisfying, you know, people just want to hear like, please just tell me what to do and I'll do it and right. this will work. But nobody wants to hear, I guess this, I know I don't. Like, you know what I mean? I don't have diabetes. And I, as I'm listening, I was like, oh, this is how I would lose weight too, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's um, it's just, do you think that we've just spent so much time as a society looking for marketable, sellable ideas about how to get around the idea of being in shape? There's no, it's, it's exercise and calories, right? And I think that's the reason that there are so many, I mean, if you look at around the first of the year there, I can't remember which publication it is, but they come out with an analysis of, I think like the, the top most, or maybe it's the 25 top most like used, call them diets, Mm -hmm. right. In the past year. And what's kind of proven true to what it promotes and what really isn't, it's kind of like flimsy, right. And some of the top ones are things like the Mediterranean diet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by no means am I promoting that or whatever. I'm just saying that that ends up being top from a lot of different health parameters. And it's also a 
clean way of eating. Yeah. Most people think Mediterranean and they think, well, lots of breads and lots of starchy things. And that's actually not true. Mm. A lot of it is plants, especially the really good non-starchy vegetable types of plants. Right. And then if there are grains, they're the heartier grains, right? Um, I mean, it doesn't tell you to eat your carbs as a bag of Doritos. It tells you to go and eat some quinoa on your salad with, you know, an orange on the side, right? Um, but I think it brings in diets. Yeah. This idea that there is the perfect thing out there. Right, right. And and that it's going to be doable for somebody because maybe, listen, maybe macro counting, maybe there's a biologist somewhere that could give you the perfect diet for your body. But where am I getting that from? And where are most people getting that? I, I have to tell you that a couple of weeks ago, I started getting achy, right? And then I looked in the mirror and I was like, my face looks puffy. And I went to the Costco and I bought two little roaster chickens and four steaks. I smoked them all. Slice them up, put them in the refrigerator, and I've been eating those and salads and some of those oranges because they're around the house. Um, they're really good. Yeah, for about the past eight or nine days, I'm easily ten pounds lighter than I was, and I know that I know I'm a fluctuating person. Like I know I jump around. Like because what'll happen is at some point someone's going to give me a piece of bread, and I'm going to be like, "Oh my god, bread!" Does everyone remember right. bread? And then <laughs> then right. I'm going to eat a lot of bread for a week, and then I'm going to go, "Oh." Now my back's stiff and I feel like I gained five pounds and, and all that stuff. But just if I explained to you that most of my meals have been like a couple of eggs in the morning and a couple of tiny slices off of that steak. And then at lunch, some some of the chicken and some of the steak with a salad. And I have I feel great. And I know it's true because I've been through it enough now now to talk my stupid childish inside into like just continuing on that way. That I don't know if I'm ever going to get to do. But I do know it's honest and it works for me and I've seen it work for other people too. Like you take out processed food and carbs and you're, you're better off. Like, I don't know. It just seems obvious, but. You know. And it's, and it's, you know, like you said, you're not focusing on like macros. You're not focusing on how many do I need in a day? You're what we end up finding. And I think this is the premise behind a lot of the, like the paleo kind of diet and the keto type of diet, right? It's if you're following the rules of those plans pretty well, they can be very clean eating plans. They can. Um, There can also just like being vegetarian can be, or vegan can be very healthy way of eating, but there are also like the complete like backside of that, where you're eating a lot of processed vegan or like the, the keto, like kinds of things that are like the treats and whatnot, yeah. you're focusing your intake on a lot of that kind of stuff. You're lacking in quality. Mm-hmm. And then your macros may very well without you realizing it be completely out of order. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why a lot of like plans like this end up failing. You know, I've followed keto and it was supposed to be this magic, like weight loss. And I also have diabetes and it was really supposed to help with my blood sugar management and whatnot. Well, I haven't lost any weight. Well, maybe there are some things then to evaluate within it. You know, the keto diet is a way to get your body to start utilizing fat Mm -hmm. instead of carbs. So if you haven't really analyzed how you've broken that down to make sure that you are one maintaining ketosis in the right way, um, and that the kinds of like carbs that you're eating are really not offsetting, um, then it may not work well for you. Don't you find that you have to be in tune with what you're, what satisfies your body? Like yeah. not not what satisfies your brain, right? But what satisfies your body? And I've absolutely, I've seen myself go either way, like where you're just eating for taste and flavor and comfort, and that's never usually good for your body. And then there's a way where you're just sort of never hungry. It, it's it's that's where I am this week. I have not been hungry this week. And if I have had any like inkling towards a sweet, I've been specifically careful to take just like dark chocolate, like just a little bit of dark chocolate. It's like this will this will get me through like with mm-hmm. what I'm assuming is basically withdrawals from flour and sugar and stuff like that, you know. Um, so I don't know, like, are you telling are you telling me that all these questions aren't even worth looking at or should we ask them? No, I think they're very <laughs> worth looking at because I think. Some of them may relate to what we've kind of already gotten into. And then some of them, I think, are really good questions in terms of 
the why it wouldn't be working, okay. right? Let's do um, it. Or why it might actually work. Um, so yeah, let's yeah. Right. take a look. Do you have a favorite or should I just pick? You just pick. All right. Well, so Jennifer's asking about her son. She says, any any advice on how to balance all this high-carb, gluten-free food for my growing, always-hungry 14-year-old T1D with celiac? Um, so she has a son who seems to need slimming down, and at the same time, she's giving him a lot of carb-heavy stuff because it's like it's some of this um, for the celiac diet, it seems like, right? The gluten stuff. Right. Yeah. And that's, I mean, celiac is a hard addition. Mm-hmm. It definitely is because while we now have a plethora of gluten-free, very tasty products on the market, most of them are made with very, very processed, very high glycemic. I mean, higher glycemic than even your wheat-based bread, you know, type of pasta, whatever it might be. So when you start processing things like rice into a flour (laughs) or, you know, potato into a flour, you have a quicker digestive component to that. Mm -hmm. And it raises the blood sugar faster. It's glycemic index is just high comparatively. So when you have to do these types of things, especially if you have a teen who is growing, is active, but also could maybe use some slimming down or maybe needs to gain a bit of weight. Mm -hmm. One, it's maybe sitting down honestly with a a dietitian to see what are my child's growing nutrition needs right now. Are we, you know, keeping kind of a log a couple of days of what are they really intaking? And then looking at what their nutrition needs should be for the point in life where they are, Mm -hmm. you know, are they moderately active? Are they heavily active? Are they kind of couch potato video gamers? What is it? And what do they need? Um, And then looking at the kind of food that you put into their caloric need. Right. Again, I mean, parents are typically the purchasers of the food in the house, yeah. give or take. You don't think this 14-year-old's got a credit card? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I mean, and my kids, gosh, I mean, if we walk down the aisles in a grocery store and they see like the pretty packages and, you know, like I never go, we don't eat cereal, so I don't go down the cereal aisle, but they'll always have something on like an end cap, mm-hmm. you know, at the grocery. Yeah, and you're like, especially my eight-year-old, you'd be like, boy, that looks really good, mom. I'm like, yeah. And it's not really good for your body. So. That's why they have to make the picture so nice. My poor kids, right? Yeah. And he's like, there's no fun here. Stop it. Um, well, So I think, you know, from, from that standpoint, you have to look at what is the child in need of? Are you meeting it? Are you creating excess? And then potentially from a gluten-free standpoint, yeah. finding substitutions that can be fit in to meet his tastes. Because right. all kids and teens are different, you know, as much as you want them to eat asparagus, they might not. Yeah. So, you know. Right. So, so you have to be, it's, listen, I know if, if you've been listening for a while, you know that I, it took me a while to diagnose my low iron thing years ago. And during that, a doctor made me eat like gluten-free for a month. And I gained a lot of weight because I went out and bought all these gluten-free items. And somehow in my mind, I was like, gluten-free equals health. That's how it felt to me. So I was like, oh. It felt like zero calorie stuff when I was going in. And man, it was just not. I think if this was me, if Jennifer was me and I didn't know what I was doing, I think I'd introduce like lower carb, more meat friendly like meals. Like that's what would occur to me first, right? Make some chicken, make some steak, put it with a a salad or a vegetable and maybe cut down on carbs. But then you got to remember, like we spoke about earlier, not to dose it as harshly as you would some of this gluten-free stuff, or you're just going to create a low and you're going to have more what you did by with the meat. Right. And I think, you know, when we look at, you know, going back to just that like clean eating idea, quite honestly, you can be gluten-free if you're choosing to not buy as much processed food pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, things like quinoa or um, like a wild rice or even like a brown rice or what that's a hundred percent gluten-free. Yeah. It's the fun stuff where it causes your problem. Right. It's right. not taking it out of the diet. It's right. just that, you know, and I know the struggle with kids. I work with plenty of kids and teens to know that 
what they get at home under mom and dad influence, because this is what you're eating, turns around and it changes considerably once they start to do things with their friends, Mm -hmm. you know? Now, gluten-free in the picture, if the child is paying attention to that and knows that they just can't have gluten, they may already then have limitations even compared to what their friends are eating because they know that they just can't do it or they're not going to feel good, right? right? Um, But in that circumstance, then it kind of takes sitting down and figuring out, well, what that, what will possibly be there that you could have, Mm -hmm. um, knowing that it's still more of like a process treaty kind of thing, but also that, you know, we're not going to do this at home, Yeah, but you could have it when you're out. Right. Okay. Um, Laura has a question. It says, is it true that insulin on board prevents the body from breaking down fat? Meaning that in order to burn fat, you need to have stretches of time with only your basal insulin and no insulin on board. That's interesting. I've never heard that. Yeah, it is. A, I guess it's an interesting way to frame it. I mean, we know that in the, we know that in the overnight time period, without any food on board and on basal only, our body does get into more of that like fasting state, mm-hmm. right? Of actually transitioning to some fat burn, etc. Because you're on a low level of insulin. I see what she's saying. Okay. But when you have insulin on board, technically there's a reason for the insulin on board. Right. Right? You're dosing for food. So that insulin on board should be covering food that is there. So yes, your body's processing carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. And your body is not at that point then going to be in fat burn mode. It's kind of correct in in a way of stating it. Yes. Um, I mean, the same thing for a high blood sugar that you've corrected. Now you've got IOB Mm -hmm. and the high blood sugar indicates that there's excessive sugar there and your body needs to process it. And as such, it's using the insulin to process it and break it down and get it in the right places. So again, technically, as long as there's not an insulin deficit in that high blood sugar scenario, and the insulin is working to get it down, then your body isn't also breaking down fats either. Then is that a a vote for intermittent fasting for type 1s? It could be. And can intermittent fasting work? Right. It, it can. But again, a blanket statement is to say that any plan that you choose no long-term that you can continue this. Right. The problem with the diets that are out there isn't the diet itself. In fact, there's a lot of research around a lot of the diets that proves long-term these people have had this success in weight management and cardiovascular benefit, et cetera, et cetera, but they've stuck with it. Yeah. It is the, oh, I'm going to do intermittent fasting. Oh, I'm going to do the keto diet. Oh, I'm going to do the, you know, cabbage soup diet for the next month. And once it starts kind of showing benefit, I'm having and a you're like, eh, <laughs> I can be, a, I can kind of step outside of the rules, yeah. the parameters, which are often for diets, very black and white. Yes. Do this, this, and this, but don't do this. And as soon as you do the, don't do this, mm-hmm. you've broken the piece of that plan that was getting you to your goal. Right. I, I found intermittent fasting the easiest to stick with. Because to me, what it was, was as long as I don't eat, like don't eat after eight and don't eat before noon. That is basically how I did it. And I have to admit, it's very effective. Now, I realized while I was doing it that Arden basically does that already without the late night thing. But she's so young, I don't think it matters, right? But she gets up in the morning and is not normally hungry in the morning. And so I've had to, over time, thoughtfully balance out how her insulin works in the morning, right? How do I come out of sleep, into feet on the floor, off to school without a rise that needs a bunch of insulin so that I don't create a low because she really doesn't want to eat until she's done with school or till lunchtime, right? Sure. So basically, Arden does intermittent fast, except she doesn't do um, 16, is it 16? Wait, 18, 19, 20, yeah, 16, 8. That was embarrassing. <laughs> A lot of people would edit that out, but I'm not going to. Uh, She doesn't do 16-8 in as much as she probably does like maybe 14, 
10, something like that. But also she's 16. So she can, right. you know, she can like we over her meal last night for dinner. We had stuffed uh, peppers, like turkey stuffed peppers and um, and a salad. And my wife, my wife, like swung at it really hard. And about a half hour after she ate, I was like, hey, her blood sugar is like stuck at 70. <laughs> I was like, I, this doesn't look OK to me. Like, I think this yeah. is going to go the wrong way, you know. And so as it started to trend away, Arden got a little light in her eye and she goes, cinnamon toast crunch, please. <laughs> and, and so she knew she had basically pre-bowl a cereal. So she was like, let's do it. And, right. and she had some of that. Had my wife gone, I'm going to guess 10 or 15 carbs less on the bolus. She hit it right on. She was so close. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, that's a young kid. And Arden's right. also helped by other things that I, I think are worth mentioning here too. Because those of you listening have type 1 diabetes or love somebody who does, you really have to get your thyroid levels checked. Yeah. Like you could be fighting against um, a borderline thyroid problem that's making weight loss impossible. Um, Correct. You know, and you, if you're going to do that, you really need to go back and listen to the thyroid episode with Dr. Benito because the range that your doctor is going to say your thyroid, your TSH level is okay in, a real badass endocrinologist will not accept you know what i yeah. mean they will not like if you're over a two dr benito's giving you thyroid hormone like and there are people right now who are listening who are like oh my tsh is a five my doctor said it's okay i'm borderline yeah yeah right but i but my hair does fall out a little bit or i'm having trouble losing weight or i'm a little nasty sometimes or whatever the other things come right i'm just telling you if your thyroid's moving the wrong way deal with it because right. it makes a lot of life easier. And it's a lot within this whole topic of weight management. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, if you've the Hashimoto's, which is very common autoimmune, once you've got, you know, type one, it's good to get tested thyroid levels at least once a year, if not every six months, especially if you've got other family who has a thyroid disorder known already. Um, but that's huge in terms of metabolic. Yeah, but you have to you have to advocate for yourself. You can't say, "Oh my God, Scott, you're right. I am tired all the time, and I can't lose weight, and blah blah blah." And then go to the doctor, and the doctor say, "Oh, your TSH is four. You're fine. Your TSH is four. You are not fine." That's the equivalent. That to me is the thyroid equivalent of in diabetes when somebody says, "Oh, your blood sugar, your average blood sugar is 180. You're doing great." Right. Right. You, well, you might. Yeah. You know, you're not dying, but you you're not living at a healthy level, and mm-hmm. that has other impacts on your life. This thyroid thing is it is crazy it is like the equivalent you trust me at this point i've seen everyone in my family except for me deal with it it's like taking a long metal like paper clip and just touching it on a computer circuit board it just messes with stuff you know what i mean yeah. it doesn't shut you yeah. off but it you and with um with arden's doses have you noticed that when things get out of order do you notice a shift in her insulin need? Because that's very common. Right away. That, you know, metabolically, she's feeling more sluggish, sluggish and fatigued. Mm-hmm. And insulin is just not working yeah. like it was supposed to work. And it, there's a time frame in terms of adjustment or even just starting on a thyroid medication where you will then start to notice a shift back to normal insulin dosing. Mm-hmm. So again, that insulin manipulation in terms of the weight management piece with thyroid in the picture, you have to be very kind of eyes on right. to make sure that you're adjusting then where you had bumped everything up in terms of insulin need, you're going to need to start bumping down. And if there's weight loss in the picture at the same time, definite need to bump down or you're going to just run lows. Yeah. I, there's sometimes I think I should even have a flow chart for myself. Like if this, then that kind of chart, because right. you're right. If the thyroid level starts to get away, then her insulin needs go up and then we adjust it. It doesn't happen right away. And her insulin needs start coming back down again. The same thing with, um, she had to start a, a birth control pill to regulate her periods. Huh? I lost three months of my life to figuring that out. Like it was just first they gave her a pill with not enough estrogen in it. So it was basically just two wasted months. She mm-hmm. was exhausted all the time because she was bleeding constantly. Yeah. So I had to get her through those pills. Those aren't the right pills. Put her on the right pill. That started working. The bleeding regulated. Yay. Now she's lost so much blood. I had to go get her an iron infusion, got her the iron infusion. Now we're waiting for that to come back up. When the iron infusion comes on board, her insulin needs are going to change again. 
Yeah. Vitamin D levels seem to impact insulin needs. Yes. Um, I just. In fact, many people for vitamin D that you bring it up, that's another like piece. And I think in terms of like, like, again, going down the rabbit hole of discussion and weight management, we're kind of on the track of like medications and medications in terms of thyroid, as well as things like iron, but vitamin D, Mm -hmm. you know, your lab will tell you optimal is between or standard is 30 to 100. Optimal, according to um, the female specific physician that I'd worked with years ago before I had my first son. She was like, you know, optimal range is really 50 to 70 for vitamin D. Okay. She's like, and if it is not in there, you need to be being supplemented because otherwise, especially with diabetes, vitamin D works on the cellular level mm-hmm. and it allows insulin to be seen correctly for lack of a better term by the cells. Right. And so it lets insulin actually work the way that it's meant to of one of the many things that can. So if your vitamin D level is off, supplement, I mean, in general, someone with type one adult wise should be supplementing at least 2000 IUs a day. Mm-hmm. And if your levels are not optimized at least 4,000 a day, and if they're really on the low end, you need to be doing like the hyper significant doses of vitamin D for a short period of time. And give you like and f- then four fifty thousand IUs and you take one once a week or something like, like once a week, or them. I've even seen some doctors do like one 10,000 IU a okay. day for, you know, a couple of weeks and then retest, but vitamin D is huge. And I'm not a doctor, but there's something about vitamin D deficiency and and autoimmune that go hand in hand. So just look at the studies out of Finland. Right. I tell you, I listen, I take 5,000 a day and I, I take 5,000 a day of vitamin D. I take a zinc tablet. I take an azorbic acid with iron um, and a B12. And that's, yeah. that's what I do every day. And that's what, you know, my kids do. And, and everyone here is doing because when the D levels drop again, problems with insulin, I'll tell you right now too, um, because Jenny mentioned uh, ranges that you need to be in versus what lab values will tell you. Dr. Benito back on the thyroid thing said, if you are a woman of childbearing years, anything under 70 for your ferritin is too low. And they're not going to tell you you're low till 20. No. So she's like, if you are having a period, um, you, you got to be above 70. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of things. And then all of these things also impact your body's ability to work correctly, which is in part and parcel losing weight or maintaining weight. weight. Right. right. There was one in here that does go along with medications that I think is um, a a really important question. Um, This woman has a son on a medication that is more for like attention Mm -hmm. and it's specific to using it versus not using it school year versus spring date break or summertime and what ends up happening in terms of insulin needs. And I think it's an important one because I've seen a lot of kids who are using ADD, ADHD kinds of meds and a very, very common thing with those is that it decreases appetite. Okay. And if they're using it in their school day and they're also, the brain uses carbs. And so the more thinking that's going on and the potential that they're really not hungry, they may not even finish the lunch that you packed for them. They may pick at the lunch that comes from the school lunch because their brain is just saying, I'm not hungry enough to eat. Okay. You may end up having to have two types of basal profiles, maybe one for like a spring break time off, another one for school days. Um, And again, as kids get more into the teen years, that becomes really beneficial in terms of growth and the potential for weight gain in the wrong direction. Because if you're constantly feeding lows again, or constantly adjusting insulin up and down, but it's kind of willy nilly and not quite right on with need, Mm -hmm. it's a medication adjustment kind of thing that goes along with adjusting insulin again. We're right up on it, but there's enough questions in here that all circle around menopause. Do you have any feelings about what happens at that time? And Jenny's yeah, like, Jenny's like, that's I'm, a fun one. I'm worried about that for myself. <laughs> in a couple years. I mean, in general, menopause in and of itself. I mean, perimenopause really is the start of kind of that time period in a woman's life where your cycles might start to get 
less evenly spaced, right? Let's say you were the typical like 29 days and you was right on spot and now like, huh, now it's like 26 days and next month it might be 32 days and then maybe 29 days. And, you know, periods can get a little bit more aggressive um, or kind of look more spotty, but that perimenopause kind of leading into menopause, which is really a woman has not had a cycle in a 12 month time period. Okay. Right. So insulin needs can look very jumpy. You might even find that again, as we get older and these things come into the picture from a female perspective, um, our metabolism does slow down. We oftentimes start to need a little bit more insulin or it takes a little bit more activity to maintain or burn off what we were able to do when we were 30, that doesn't work anymore when you're 45 (laughs) or 50, right? So, I mean, menopause, perimenopause, it brings in a whole circle of hormone impact that may more aggressively change your insulin needs, especially around your cycle times. So not unlike, I guess more aggressive, but not unlike having your period and seeing hormone fluctuations throughout the month. Right. And then once you're in menopause, oftentimes, you know, outwards of a year or two post no longer having a, a cycle, many times then insulin levels should get more stable because you don't have that hormone flux. And as we age, men and women have less and less and less growth hormone cycling anyway. And so we end up, especially women past about the age of 65 or people past about the age of 65, oftentimes their baseline basal needs definitely go down. Okay. And the reason there is because their hormone cycling has kind, kind of, of started dropping off. Okay. All right. Did we do this justice in an hour? Because I feel like we did, but I don't know much. I think that we did as much as we could get in in an hour. I mean, if we really wanted to focus in again, dig really deep into that information hole, there's a whole bunch about meds that are very specific to like weight loss and, you know, things like the GLP ones and um, things like the um, SGLT twos and what, despite them being type two meds, they are getting a lot more, um, they're kind of climbing on the ladder of benefit for those with type one and who are just insulin users. Okay. And they do have promise in terms of weight management if used the correct way. Okay. Um, so. Do you, and do you feel comfortable talking about that? Because maybe we'll sure. just say here that if you like this episode, look for that one coming in the future. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Jenny, you were really good. Great. You got to do all the talking. I, I, I was at some points uncomfortable. <laughs> I was just oh. like, I, not for, because you, I was like, huh, there's not a lot for me to do here. <laughs> I was just <laughs> checking. Just I was just saving files and checking rates and looking at questions. I was like, this you're is, like, I should have just gone and gotten an extra cup of tea. It's kind of nice. I should have just said, Jenny, tell me about weight loss. I'll be back in an hour. <laughs> anyway, you were I mean, terrific. it really is. I, I was looking at all the questions. I mean, there are a lot of really good questions, but I think a lot of them honestly go back to insulin. Yeah. Dosing it the right way for what you're kind of taking in. And then also, secondly, looking at what are you taking in? Right. In, and obviously. In- in my mind, these questions all are, they're similar. They're tied together, whether it's vitamins or your thyroid level or your calories or, or whatever it ends up being, is there is a balance that optimizes your body. It's not going to be the same for everybody. Some people's vitamin D level can be crashy, low to the floor, and they'll never notice it and it won't matter to them. But for some people it does. And when you get those things in the right balance, then you feel better and feeling better to me, is like you feel stronger, you're more yeah. rested, like all of this stuff happens, you're clear in your mind, but how, but some of these things nobody would even know to look into. No. You know, even vitamin D, like I can remember 10 years ago, my Arden's nurse practitioner going, uh, we're going to start checking vitamin D. It was almost like a mandate came down from a mountain. Y- you know what I mean? And yeah, that- actually, I don't even know when that would have been, but if it wasn't, I remember when I was working in DC and the endo practice I worked with within the, our director was very like high up within the whole like diabetes management, like realm of 
mm-hmm. information. And his, he was like, we are testing vitamin D levels for every person with diabetes. And at that point it was really just, it, the thought was it was relevant more to type two. Mm. But as we started testing, then I went to my own endo and I was like, you know, I run, I'm outside all the time. I have like, you know, like brown skin from being outside. I was like, I don't think my, I'm like, I'm sure it's fine. In fact, my vitamin D level came back and my doctor himself called me, not his nurse. He was like, this is really weird. But he's like, I want you to go and get it tested again. He's like, this can't be right. And my level was 18. Yeah. 18. And so I went and got a test again. Nope. It was 18 again. He was like, he did. That was the one time a week, the 50,000 I use. I came back in eight weeks and it had moved to 21. Mm -hmm. And he was like, Hmm. So I, he sent me to see like a naturopath who was also a physician who knew a little bit more in that realm. And she actually had me started. She started me on oral drops. Okay. And the drops get absorbed through your oral mucosa rather than having to go through your gut. Mm -hmm. And because we know there's a lot in terms of gut and absorption in autoimmune disorders, she's like, I guarantee your body's not absorbing it. She said, that's the problem. And as within about, I think it was 10 weeks after that, I got it retested and was already up in the high forties. Yeah. You know, I have to, um, I, I thought I was going to have to live getting iron infusions my whole life because I couldn't absorb it through my gut. And I do probably have some like weird stuff going on down there too. Sure. And, um, instead I mix it. So first of all, I use a really pure like supplement from a company that, you know, you can do your own research and find one that you like for yourself. But I researched out, found a really pure supplement and I have to take the iron with an azorbic acid at the same time. And when, and when I do that, it, it absorbs great. If I take just the iron tablet without the azorbic acid, won't, we won't work. Yeah. And that's it. There's a over the counter one called Vitron or Vitron D or something like that. It's, it's a iron that comes with it's C vitamin C okay. together that helps that too. But yeah, huh. these are the kinds of things no one's going to tell you about, or they're just going to blurt out. We're testing for vitamin D now. Then you come back quote unquote in range and they don't give you <laughs> one anyway. And you're like, well, this was a lot of fun. <laughs> so Anyway, everybody, balance your body, uh, balance your insulin. Things should get better. That makes sense? All right. Thank you, Jenny. Yay, you're welcome. Absolutely. I want to thank Ascensia Diabetes for sponsoring the Remastered Diabetes Pro Tip Series. Don't forget, you can get a free Contour Next Gen Starter Kit at contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter. While supplies last, U.S. residents only. If you're enjoying the remastered episodes of the Diabetes Pro Tip Series from the Juicebox Podcast, you have Touched by Type 1 to thank. Touchedbytype1.org is a proud sponsor of the remastering of the Diabetes Pro Tip Series. Learn more about them at touchedbytype1.org. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. You spell that G-V-O-K-E-G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N dot com forward slash juice box. If you're living with diabetes or are the caregiver of someone who is, and you're looking for an online community of supportive people who understand, check out the Juice Box Podcast private Facebook group, Juice Box Podcast Type 1 Diabetes. There are over 41,000 active members, and we add 300 new members every week. There is a conversation happening right now that would interest you, inform you, or give you the opportunity to share something that you've learned. Juice Box Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes on Facebook, and it's not just for Type 1s. Any kind of diabetes, any way you're connected to it, you are invited to join this absolutely free and welcoming community. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, listen, there's 26 episodes in this series. You might not know what each of them are. I'm going to tell you now. Episode 1000 is called Newly Diagnosed or Starting Over. Episode 1001, all about MDI. 1002, all about insulin. 1003 is called Prebolus. Episode 1004, Temp Basal. 1005, Insulin Pumping. 1006, Mastering a CGM. 
1007, Bump and Nudge. 1008, The Perfect Bolus. 1009, Variables. 1010, Setting Basal Insulin. 1011, Exercise. 1012, Fat and Protein. 1013, Insulin Injury and Surgery. 1014, Glucagon and Low BGs. In episode 1015, Jenny and I talk about emergency room protocols. In 1016, Long-Term Health. 1017, Bump and Nudge, Part 2. In episode 1018, Pregnancy. 1019, Explaining Type 1. 1020, Glycemic Index and Load. 1021, Postpartum. 1022, Weight Loss. 1023, Honeymoon. 1024, Female Hormones. And in episode 1025, we talk about transitioning from MDI to pumping. Before I go, I'd like to share two reviews with you of the Diabetes Pro Tip series, one from an adult and one from a caregiver. I learned so much from the Pro Tip series when our son was diagnosed last summer. It really helped get me through those first few very tough weeks. It wasn't just your explanations of how it all works, which were way better than anything our diabetes educator told us, but something about the way you and Jenny presented everything, even the scary stuff, that reassured me that we could figure out how to deal with this and to teach our son how to deal with it too. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and experience with us. This podcast is a game changer. 25 years as a type 1 diabetic, and only now am I learning some of the basics. Scott brings useful information and presents it in digestible ways. Learning that pre-bolus doesn't just mean bolus before you eat, but means timing your insulin so that it is active as the carbs become active took me already from a decent 6.5A1C down to a 5.6 in the past eight months. I've never met Scott, but after listening to hundreds of episodes and joining him in his Facebook group, I consider him a friend. Listening to this podcast and applying it has been the best thing I have done for my health since diagnosis. I genuinely hope that the Diabetes Pro Tip series is valuable for you and your family. If it is, find me in the private Facebook group and say hello. If you're enjoying the Juicebox podcast, please share it with a friend, a neighbor, your physician, or someone else who you know that might also benefit from the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox podcast. Jenny Smith holds a bachelor's degree in human nutrition and biology from the University of Wisconsin. She is a registered and licensed dietitian, a certified diabetes educator, and a certified trainer on most makes and models of insulin pumps and continuous glucose monitoring systems. She's also had type 1 diabetes for over 35 years, and she works at integrateddiabetes.com. If you're interested in hiring Jenny, you can learn more about her at that link.